Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 48 Hours ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Need more true crime in your life? An Audible membership can solve that. Audible is the ultimate destination for thrilling audio entertainment. As an Audible member, you could choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog. Don't miss The Serial Killer's Apprentice by Katherine Ramsland and Tracy Allman. It follows the true story of how Houston's deadliest murder turned a kid into a killer in training. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 48 hours or text 48 hours to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 48 hours or text 48 hours to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com slash 48 hours. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Hello, I'm Anne-Marie Green, and this is Postmortem. This week's case about the murder of Amy Harwick might be familiar to you if you're a longtime 48 Hours fan. This is actually the third hour, 48 hours, has dedicated to Amy's story. So joining me today is the reporting team that covered this case from the beginning. Correspondent Aaron Moriarty, producers Richie Fetzer, and Lauren White. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome, guys. Well, we've been living this for four years, so we want to talk about this. That's right. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having us. I feel like I remember, Aaron, when you first covered the first hour. And we did it right away, the week afterwards. So let me take you back to that time. So it was the early morning hours of February 15, 2020, just as Valentine's Day was coming to a close. It was Hollywood Hills, L.A. And Michael Herman calls 911 and he reports that his roommate, a woman by the name of Amy Harwick, had been attacked in their home. Um, He's frantic. He has uh, some blood on him. When the police get there, they find Amy Harwick. She's on the ground right below the balcony, and she's barely clinging to life. Sadly, she dies then later at the hospital. Now, when it got lighter, when the police started looking around, it was clear that Mike Herman was right. Somebody had broken into the house. There was this shattered French door, signs of a struggle in Amy's room. And then there was the really strange piece of evidence, a syringe. They could not figure out what it was, and it took them a while to figure out what it was. It's important to know that Amy was like this 
amazing woman. She had had so many different lives. She was at that time a marriage and family therapist, but she had been an occasional photographer, a dancer, a model. In other words, she had a lot of friends, tons of friends. And most of them all said, if somebody attacked this woman, it could only be one person, a man by the name of Gareth Purcells, who was an old boyfriend. Yeah. And and not just an old boyfriend, an old problem. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Amy's death made national headlines. She had been engaged at one point to Drew Carey. Everyone knows and loves Drew Carey, comedian. He's the host of The Price is Right on CBS. And so that brought a little sort of celebrity attention to it. But the story really became so much more because of the people that loved Amy. Her friends and family kept it alive, their advocacy work, their insistence on bringing the issue of domestic violence to the forefront of this case. Well, because she really became a symbol in a way. This story had a big impact in L.A. and nationally because this was a woman who I mentioned was a a marriage and family therapist. And she focused on helping women in toxic relationships. So if she could be attacked by a former boyfriend, all of us covering it thought, oh, my God, is there safety for anyone? Correct. You know, I think looking at this case, um, you know, Amy was just such a a wonderful person and um, really did have all the tools necessary to succeed. And it's just such a shame that she didn't feel as though she could go to the police because Gareth hadn't uh, explicitly threatened her. um, And so therefore, she didn't feel like she could extend the restraining order, which had expired, which now that's a part of her friend's advocacy that restraining order shouldn't expire. Oh, totally. And I just wanted to say, like, Lauren booked one of Amy's clients, which brings up a good point, because this is a woman who went to Amy for help. She had experienced an abusive ex who had also stalked her. He'd broken into her home and Amy helped her. So she Mm. talked to us in this hour about the fact that Amy had helped her and then she fell victim to this type of a crime completely took her safety away. Yes. Because the thing about it is Amy did everything right. Right. She saw it wasn't a good relationship. She got out. When she felt like she was being threatened, she went to the legal system. She got a restraining order. She had the psychological tools to know how to defuse Mm. a, a situation. I mean... This is a woman that should have been sort of the poster girl for how you remove yourself from this toxic, abusive relationship. Well, that's because the problem wasn't on Amy's part. It was the law. Exactly. The frailty of the law, the limitations Mm. of the law. Yeah. Totally. Um, so, Aaron, you actually spoke to Drew Carey. I f- I'm trying to like go back in time because I feel like when we first talked about this, you didn't know if Drew Carey was going to be willing to talk to you or not. Oh, not at all. Yeah. This was this was such a surprise because I was told, okay, he only has a very short time to talk to you, and so I was very nervous. I wanted to get all my questions out, but Drew Carey loved Amy Harwick and he wanted to talk and there was one point where one of his people tried to you know cut it off and he waved her away he wanted to talk about her he was proud of her he loved the way that she helped women he made such a point about that and then um you know it was sad because they had broken up but something we learned that just breaks our heart to this day and I think 
breaks his right before Valentine's Day. They had not spoken for a while and she had texted him and they made plans to meet and she never got that chance because she was killed. And so number one, we hear those stories, but we also learn, and he did not, you know, like brag about this. We learned from friends after her death, he helped her parents go back and forth for the trial. He was there. He took her friend's and made sure they got to the funeral. He, got, um, yeah, he rented a bus for them so that they could go back and forth for the funeral. He's a lovely man, and it is a testament to Amy. It really is. And so I will say, I love Drew Carey even more today because I just saw such a human side of him in an interview. And I should let everyone know that interview was in 2022. That's when you were able to sit down and talk with him. So this hour also has a lot of new interviews and new evidence, like the police body cam footage from the crime scene that hadn't actually been included in the previous broadcast. How did you get all these new elements to to update the hour? So, I mean, a big part of it, we had the benefit this time of the trial had happened. So we actually had access to a lot of these elements. So in the past, when Aaron, you know, had covered the story and you're trying to make sense of a crime, now we actually, you can see it happening. So, or, you know, the aftermath yeah. of it happening. And, you know, it's great for us, you know, making TV, but, you know, there's also like an emotional burden that goes into it because there's all these things that you've tried not to imagine and now you're actually seeing it. And it's really, you know, upsetting and, you know, frankly, I think makes you angry that this happened to her. But it also helped in our reporting. We should make a very big oh, yeah. point yes. of that because when you see the body cam footage, now you understand that when the police got there and you understand why, they didn't really know what had happened. So, yes, her roommate, Michael Herman, was outside, but he had blood on him. And he said he's a roommate, but he doesn't have the keys to the right. house. So they're thinking, was this guy involved or was he right. not involved? They see the syringe. The young cops say, oh, my God, that's heroin. That's what they think. So they think it might be a drug Related. When the uh, weathered lead detective <laughs> Masterson shows up, he goes, that's not heroin. But they didn't know what it was. And so you really get a sense from looking at this evidence that we couldn't before of how difficult it was initially to get to the bottom of what happened to Amy Harwick. Definitely. That's a great point. And, you know, with the conclusion of the trial, what also happened is, you know, the floodgates opened as far as people wanting to speak with us who had never spoken before. So, you know, we have Detective Masterson, the lead homicide detective, the prosecutors, Michael Herman, who, you know, really shout out to our booking producer, Michelle Finucci. She has been in contact with Michael, you know, since the very beginning. And I would call it, you know, the soft touch and the long touch where it was just, you know, checking in with him, not pressuring him, you know, uh, letting him voice his his frustrations or his concerns and really being there for him. And and so when the trial concluded, he was ready. Uh, the same goes with the parents. You know, we included a statement of theirs at the end of the first show in full, and they really appreciated that. And I think they remembered that. They did. They, they told, told us, us that. They told us that, that they remembered that. And that's what was a part of their thinking about participating this time around. You know, these are two uh, people, Penny and Tom, they adopted 
Amy and her brother. They wanted these children. So to make sense of why Amy was taken away, it took time for them to be able to talk. But I think they finally, after they saw that we cared about this case too, they decided that it was the best place for them to talk about this daughter that they loved and lost. Mm -hmm. She was so much a part of their lives. You know, they, they joke, you know, she was into, you know, heavy metal music when she was growing up and they became metalheads because of her, you know? And so imagine having that huge personality suddenly gone. And I think that's why it took them a long time to talk about it. But then when they did and they, they smiled a lot and because it kind of brought her back for that moment when they were allowed just to talk about her. So let me ask you, you know, at the end of the trial, you get access to all this evidence, some of it's video evidence, so it works really well for TV, but then you have to sift through it. That must have been tough. Very, especially, I mean, we talked about this, you know, Amy, when the police get there, um, they call an ambulance, but the ambulance, they got lost. It took them a while to get to her. She's on the ground this whole time and they can't they're not touching her because they don't want to you know, cause more issues, cause more problems. She's just on this ground. But worse, what upset Ugh. me when I looked at it and I was really disturbed by this. Michael Herman, who was a roommate, wants to go help her. He sees it for the first time on the ground and he runs there and they go, sir, yep. sir, and they stop him and in my head I kept thinking he didn't get to hold her hand I understand why the police they didn't know whether he was a a, was he the attacker was he involved was he not they didn't know but the idea that her roommate couldn't hold her hand still haunts me it is haunting and you see that in the video we wouldn't have you know unfortunately that's what you're feeling as you're looking at this evidence that is now available to us I really felt for him 100% you know when you talked about the survivor skills in in the hour I thought I can totally understand it because I imagine he must be going over that night oh you know why didn't I get up when I thought it was the cat why didn't Mm -hmm. I you know Mm -hmm. react faster when I heard her yelling like it it must have been so hard and then to see the video and sort of relive that moment must have been tough and think about this too Anne-Marie not only just racking your brain about all the things you could have done but this happened right before the pandemic and the lockdowns and so he's by himself now racked with this guilt and now no way of uh, being able to get help or to to deal with it so it just really compounded the issue for him. I think in a lot of ways. In the grief. Yeah. I think he's his own worst critic. 100%. And um, the isolation. I mean, he talked to us about pacing where he was and he was like damaging his feet because he was like going over the night over and over and over again in his head and it's it, you know, it's really upsetting. I mean, Aaron, when she interviewed him had, you know, an experience because you're facing him. I was, you know, interviewing him. That was the most raw, the most honest, um, the most painful interview that I had sat through because even though Amy Hardwick died in 2020 and we are interviewing him near the end of 2023, that time had not passed and he was so raw. And and sadly, even though he shouldn't, feels responsible that he couldn't save her. That was one of the toughest interviews I've had to do. We wanted to talk to him, but I didn't want to cause any more pain. I just wanted to kind of help him rather than cause pain. I can totally understand that. A reminder that there are always so many victims. 100%. Right. 
you, you did speak to Amy's parents. They were ready to speak on camera. I, I love them. Um, there was only one we moment. We all do. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. goodness. <laughs> but they caught us off guard because, um, you know, they're very proper. And Penny is a very proper woman. But when we asked her about um, the defense at the trial, she came out with a word that we were not expected. <laughs> An improper word? Oh, yes. Yeah, we had to bleep and, the word. Yes. And yes. bleep part of the word. Bullshit. I don't know if anyone else expected that reaction because no. I surely did not. <laughs> but it was, it could not have told the the viewers more how she really felt about the defense. So it was appropriate from that perspective. So another really interesting piece of evidence that you were able to show was a surveillance video mm-hmm. of uh, Gareth Purr's house. And you see him walk up to the camera and then block it. But did anyone? I that was the first time I realized that you could put your hand over I did a not camera. Know that. I had no idea. Stop the action I didn't of the know camera. That either. But you know what else that shows? The Foresight. Thought. Yeah. Yes. The planning that yeah. went into it. That he planned to stop those cameras. Yeah. So on one hand, I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. The other one was, oh my God, he did and he planned this. But you know what? He was smart enough to know to wear gloves and to cover the cameras, but not smart enough to cover his face with a mask. He didn't wear a mask. He didn't wear a mask. That's very surprising. I don't think he thought he'd get caught. I don't think he knew that Michael Herman was in the house. And I think he thought, and we will get to the syringe, but I think he thought he was going to get in, he was going to commit his crime and get out and never be found. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Forty-eight hours listeners know to always expect the unexpected, including when home appliances break down. An American Home Shield warranty can restore your sense of security. It's simple. When a covered item in your home breaks, Contact American Home Shield and their trusted and qualified pros will fix or replace it. Right now, you could take 20% off. Go to ahs.com slash 48 to save 20%. That's ahs.com slash 48 for 20% off any plan. For more details, see ahs.com slash contracts for coverage details, including limit amounts, fees, limitations, and exclusions. New Jersey residents, the product being offered is a service contract and is separate and distinct from any product or service warranty which may be provided by the home builder or manufacturer. American Home Shield, don't worry, be warranty. A sense of safety is important to everyone, and that's why I want to talk to you about Simply Safe. It's an advanced security system that protects your entire home so you can rest easy. Simply Safe is completely customizable with advanced sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more. You can have 24/7 professional home monitoring for less than $1 a day. So try Simply Safe for 60 days risk-free. If you don't love it, you can return your system for a full refund. Plus, we're offering listeners 20% off any new Simply Safe system. When you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring, don't wait. Visit simplysafe.com slash 48 hours. That's simplysafe.com slash 48 hours. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Another chilling new element of this hour is that voicemail from Purse House. He leaves it on Amy's 
phone after he he just kind of happens to bump into her one night. I want to play a short clip. Gareth sent Amy a series of texts and later left her a tear-filled voicemail. I have so much I need to say. Please give me a chance to just say it. Please. That's when prosecutors say Amy decided to block his number. I mean, at first when I heard that, I thought, oh, that, you know, he sounds like a sad guy. You know, you hear him crying. But then you start thinking, oh, my God, he had not really talked to her. He hadn't dated her for nine years, and he's still so focused on her. And then it seems creepy. You know, then it's scary. That's not normal. It shows his obsession and how this obsession was sustained and also you know? he didn't yeah. he it's not like he had her phone number still he had to find her number online and then starts texting her and then leaves her this the strange and she's texting back voicemail. giving a boundary yeah and then he will yep. not stop she says you know um you know i think the way that we ended things let's let that be i don't want us to be enemies yeah but i think this is a boundary i need to set and let's not continue being in contact. And very that was not enough. Way. Yeah, that very was not calm. enough for him. The the exact advice she would have given to any of her clients. Right. So another detail not included in the hour was also later discovered that Purse House was texting another woman Ugh. right you know, before he killed Amy. <laughs> you know, if if online dating wasn't hard enough. So <laughs> these two women who have been talking to Gareth Purse House, uh, unbeknownst to them, you know, they're texting with him on Valentine's Day and they're all making jokes. And then right after Amy falls from the balcony, he's responding ha 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 to a woman. And then when he's arrested 13 hours after Amy's death, he's on a date with another woman. How calculating, manipulative, and self-absorbed. Yeah. You know, that he took care of one problem in his head and he's moving on. Of course, I feel for those women. Can you imagine imagine. you're responding to somebody online and you find out that he's accused of killing a past girlfriend? You know, that's... You might want to shut down your dating profile and reassess. Yeah. (laughs) And then they had to testify. Yeah, I was about to, his, you, you took that yeah. out of my head. Yeah, they, they had to testify in his murder trial to say, yes, these are the texts he was sending me. This is the date that we went on because the the woman that was on the date with him, she asked him about that black eye. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. He had a black eye. Presu- you know, prosecutors would argue from his fight with Amy. You know, he attacks her and she's fighting back, fighting for her life. And that's what they're assuming the black eye came from. And, you know, this woman is telling the police, you know, I asked him about it. You know, where'd you get that black eye? And I think he had said to her, it was a shaving accident. I was shaving. But didn't he say the police, it was a home renovation renovation. He gave a different excuse to them. Yeah. I was going to ask if he had been in any relationships in those 10 years. I think he had, you know, it's interesting, uh, the change.org petition that the family created um, in in Amy's memory. There's a woman that said, you know, this could have been me. I was one of Gareth's um, relationships. This could have been me. Unbelievable. Yeah. Gareth Pursehouse is charged with Amy's murder, and you're able to listen to and see the testimony. Um, Amy's parents were there? Every day. Every day. Every second. Every single day. They were there through, and we all know from sitting through so many, sadly, so many murder trials, uh, the graphic nature. You know, this is about the defendant more than it is about the victim, sadly. And so you see the victim in ways that no parent should have to, but they felt they had to be there for her. 
his he had family there as well. Oh, wow. His mother. So tell about that story, Lauren, yeah. because that to me struck me. We didn't know. We found out from Amy's mother. Yeah. So she told Aaron during the interview that um, during court one day, she said it was one of the harder days. She believes it was right after they showed the autopsy photos of Amy. And so Penny was leaving the courtroom and Gary's mom stepped out and and spoke to her. Mm. And we have a clip of that exchange that wasn't included in the hour. She put her hand on my arm and leaned close and said, I am just so very sorry for what's happened to your daughter. And all I could say to her was, um, I know you would not have chosen this for your family. I mean, she's a victim, just like we were. What a gracious woman. So empathetic. I'm sorry, that was another time even hearing it that I got all teary during the interview because I thought, here is Penny, Amy's mother, worried about another mother whose son took away her daughter. I get teary just talking about it, but that tells you so much about Penny and Tom. They were very gracious, good people. Talking to Tom and Penny, you start to see where Amy came from, especially Penny. She's this very... um, you know, in charge person, and you know she speaks her mind, and see They're where her daughter came from. Very impressive people. Yeah. It's it's remarkable. The defense put out an argument that, I mean, it was kind of to me, and I'm not a lawyer. It seemed a little far fetched. Well, it's blame the victim. Yeah, defense. Yeah. It's the classic blame the victim. Yeah, they were claiming that you know Amy fell off the balcony on her own, and that uh, Purse House brought the syringe filled with nicotine to take his own life. They used sort of proof that she fell off the balcony, this one picture of her sitting on a balcony. Which they didn't even know. They haven't even been able to prove that that's her balcony. That could be any balcony, you know? I don't know anyone else's reaction, but when I saw them use this picture of her and try to use this in the defense, I had a visceral reaction to that. And we didn't speak to the jury, so we don't know what they were thinking. But you don't know if that type of strategy maybe might have backfired because it made me angry. The idea of saying, well, so she was so comfortable with that balcony, she might have just tried to slowly climb off and fell. Right. Um, she was too badly attacked, according to the prosecutors, Correct. and in too bad a shape to have ever been able to get to the balcony by her, herself, right. let alone climb down. Yes. But yes, that's what they used. And then even in the closings for um, his um, defense attorney, Robin Bernstein-Lev, to say, we don't know who initiated the physical altercation. But let me just explain why they did that. They did that. I mean, it was a legal strategy. Yeah. So, you know, he is charged with... uh, you know, basically first degree murder, premeditated murder. And I think they were hoping the jury might wonder if he just wanted to talk to her. But in the heat of the moment, um, he ended up killing her. And then that might have been a little bit of a lesser charge, manslaughter, voluntary manslaughter, which still carries a big term. But it's just so painful for the family and friends to hear that. Did anybody talk more about the nicotine syringe? Because I don't think I can recall a nicotine syringe 
coming up in any 48 hours I've ever watched. Oh, yeah. No. Are you serious? We're all looking at Aaron. Yeah, and I should point out that the lead detective had seen our story years before, and that's how he realized that that syringe that the first responders thought might be heroin was not heroin. It was nicotine. You had another case like that? I did, where a man was accused and convicted of killing his wife with a syringe of nicotine, and the theory being, that, number one, they don't usually look for nicotine when they're doing an autopsy or a tox screen. Um, And it's very easily obtained, particularly now when you can vape, you you know, you can get pure nicotine and it can kill you. And unless... um, a medical examiner notices a because it's injected unless they notice this little Puncture. spot on the body. They wouldn't have known what killed her. Right. That was according to prosecutors. It took them months to figure out what that yellowish brown substance was. They had to send it to the FBI in the end to finally get to the bottom of it. Yeah, They just don't test for it. Right. So fascinating. Um, his defense mm-hmm. uh, presented... Not one single witness. Which was a shock. They promised to. They promised. They did. They said they were going to have an expert. And and they showed a, um, an image from this reconstruction. I, but they never, they never, you know, made good on that promise. I wonder what happened. So in opening statements in this case, the defense was presenting to the jury their theories. And one of them was this expert that was going to use these images to show that Amy fell. They used screen grabs of this computer-generated image showing a body kind of, it looks like it's hanging from the balcony. And it was supposed to, in their argument, illustrate how she fell and that's how she got the injuries. But then we never really heard much more about it because they never presented that. I I assume they couldn't back up this reconstruction because they would have if they could have. And of course, he did not take the stand in his own defense. And not even at sentencing? No, No, he never spoke at sentencing. He never spoke throughout the whole trial process. Of course, the big moment of this episode is that Purse House is finally found guilty of murdering Amy Harwick and sentenced to life in prison without parole. Tell us about the victim impact statement from Amy's mother, Penny. So Penny Harwick gave a very moving statement about how Purse House, you know, he broke into her home. He His hands were filled with vitriol. And yes, he used his hands to harm Amy, but his were not the last hands to touch Amy. And so she talks about how the EMTs tried to help Amy, how the doctors tried to help Amy, the police. And then finally, at the funeral, Penny and Tom tucked Amy in one last time into her casket and kissed her and touched her and said that how much they loved her. That's tough. Yeah. It's moving. Emotionally vulnerable. Yes. I mean, I can't imagine giving a public statement like that and having to do it. And also, I mean, facing the man who did it. It was so eloquent. I mean, it's very quintessential who she is, but, and, you know, making about her daughter and the loss. I mean, it was very impactful. Once again, an exceptional hour. Thank you so much for joining us. Very happy to be here, but it's hard for me to give a goodbye to Amy. Mm. Might be our last show. I'm saying goodbye to her, too. Yes. You know, it's such an honor. When Richie and I first worked on this in 2020, we were associate producers. And now to be the producers of this and be able to tell her story and hopefully tell it tell it well. um, It really is just an honor to to tell this woman's story. I think honor is the word. And especially with the people that spoke to us, that they trusted us. And, you know, you just want to do right by them. Well, thank you. Thank you again. 
Listen, everyone, join us next Tuesday for another postmortem and watch 48 Hours. Of course, it's Saturdays, 10, 9 Central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. And if you are liking the show, please rate and review 48 Hours on Apple Podcasts and follow 48 Hours wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen ad-free on the Amazon Music and Wondery app or with the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the 48 Hours podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, the double life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, the double life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.